Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind, your Sunday news magazine. I'm Hannah Harris, the executive audio producer for the show. For today's episode, we at The Rewind wanted to bring you a conversation about the last four years at Tufts with two former editors-in-chief of the Tufts Daily who are now graduating. So, here's host Robert Kaplan, executive investigative editor Jessica Blau, and audio producer Ryan Schaefer. Hello, and happy Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to this April 25th edition of The Rewind, your Sunday news magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kaplan. On today's episode, we mark the graduation of the class of 2021 as academic departments and programs hold socially distanced commencement ceremonies in small groups over these last few weeks of the academic year. To discuss the news and developments that defined the last four years of tough student life, I'm joined by two guests, both graduating seniors and both former editors-in-chief of the Tufts Daily. Jessica Blau, our current investigative editor, and Ryan Schaefer, the Rewinds producer, are with me now. Hello, Jess, Ryan, thank you for being here. Hi, Robert. Thank you for having me. Hey, Robert. So, Jess, Ryan, can you uh, tell me, summarize some of the themes that you'd say are pertinent to this graduating class in this graduating season? Yeah, I definitely think a theme that I've seen you know, across my four years at Tufts and then also with my time at the Daily is this repeated, I don't, I feel like clash is too strong a word, but um, the sense of conflict or debate between the student body and the administration. And there have been a lot of ways it's manifested. A lot of activist movements at Tufts have been born kind of out of that sense of conflict or of disagreement. And the one that's coming to mind right now is housing, um, you've also had student activist movements in support of dining workers and divestment campaigns, whether those be divestments from prisons or from fossil fuels or also from dark money at Tufts, like our financial connections to the Sackler family. Yeah, I agree with Jess. And I think that there's some other things that I guess have characterized my time at Tufts. And that's a lot of like transitions in terms of like, especially wanting to become a, or aiming to become an anti-racist institution. And that's in the multiple incidents of, of hate that have occurred on campus or instance of biased policing that we have seen. And also just to tag off of Jess's comment about housing, I think that's a universal thing that we all, we all experience and really impacts broader things like our relationships with our host communities, Medford and Somerville. Great. Well, let's dive in. Um, let's start with one that I think has one of the, it seems to have one of the longest arcs um, with activism at Tufts. Um, Jess, what are some of the key, the key moments that you can remember from your time at Tufts related to that? Yeah, I think that's definitely kind of a, an understatement almost to say that that's been a big player in our last four years at Tufts. One moment that I will never forget was spring of 2019. <laughs> Uh, a protest in support of the unionization of dining workers. Which was attended by over 800 students. And I just remember it like snaking through the entire campus, all the way from Carm, around the residential quad there, down 
that street in front of President Monaco's house down Pro Row all the way to DeWick. So very much like connecting the two dining halls in that way. Yeah, and that's really a moment that I remember in terms of seeing activism at Tufts at its strongest. Other, other groups that were very active in the last four years, Tufts Housing League had a, a very strong presence, particularly after the university announced the tiered housing system. And in 2018, they had their Tier Town protest, which was setting up um, various tents outside of Blue Hall. And then additionally, I think there were always kind of social movements going on at Tufts, particularly in pre-COVID times. There was a sunrise um, march that was in support of divestment from fossil fuels and better green policies at Tufts, along with many others. Um, on that last point, I, I think another theme of uh, activism at Tufts is divestment campaigns. What are some of the ones in uh, recent years that you could tell us about? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's exactly accurate to categorize this as a divestment campaign, but like one of the biggest controversies that I remember from my years at Tufts was around the Sackler family and their contributions to Tufts University. Tufts having buildings named after the Sackler family, despite the fact that it was very clear that a lot of that money had come from fueling the opioid crisis in America. So yeah, there was definitely a student movement around distancing the university from the Sackler family or taking the Sackler name off of the Sackler building at um, the med school. And you know, that really culminated in the Stern report in fall of 2019 and the findings of the Stern report recommended that the Sackler name be removed from the building. So that was what what came to be. So that was kind of an example of like a really successful movement against a problematic practice. I can jump in here and talk a bit about the TCA stuff. Really for more than or around a decade of activism at Tufts has been going on regarding Tufts climate action or climate policy at Tufts and really aiming at divesting our endowment away from various polluting agencies or companies, especially energy, ones that rely on oil or coal. And TCA has really been a strong presence and the Tufts Daily has written editorials in support of this. And it's really proven to be a very hard thing to get the university to do or respond to. And we saw that like a year ago, Tufts had released or had implemented a program for the Responsible Investment Advisory Group that kind of opened as an avenue for Tufts students, faculty to try and bring about changes in our investment practices. And immediately we saw that TCA had jumped on it and applied and gotten sponsored by the TCU Senate. And then for about a year, this Responsible Investment Advisory Group made up of admin, faculty, and two students had been meeting to figure out how they can divest. And that report came out this semester, actually. And it detailed, and it says that it's actually quite hard, I guess, on part of the university to fully divest from fossil fuels completely because a lot of the investments are in, quote, commingled funds. But the university specifically 
I think is able to divest from tar sands companies. That was one shift, though, not complete in the eyes of TCA. Right. And I think a lot of what we're talking about now has to do with uh, Tufts students' interactions with administration at the higher levels. Um, there's also you know, many other uh, components of the, the hierarchy of Tufts administration, with, which uh, students interact with and have changed significantly over time. And I think one that's worth addressing is the group of six, um, which has really changed a lot in the past four years. Yeah. Um, when Ryan and I were first years, the group of six included the International Center and the first center, which is currently in the group of six, did not exist yet. Um, so the first center was kind of born in it was like starting to be created um, in the second half of our first year. And then when we were sophomores, it opened and began serving students for the first time. And the International Center ended up leaving the group of six and going on to focus on other services that it could have to support international students. An important thing to mention when talking about changes at the group of six is that they've had a ton of changes in administration and in leadership as well. Several centers have lost their directors or had interim directors that left or had people who were in long-term positions that ended up being temporary. So it's kind of created this sense of instability in a lot of the centers. Um, currently, you have one director overseeing both the Women's Center and the LGBT Center. And also, I should acknowledge that um, the group of six is now known as the Division of Student Diversity and Inclusion, and that was a recent change this year. You know, an additional fact that I think also characterizes the past several years is that these centers are historically systems of support for historically marginalized groups on campus. And they've been increasingly important um, as the number of hate crimes have increased on campus in recent years. Could you tell us a little about the, the outline of those in the past couple of years? So, yeah, really over my time here at Tufts, there's been a number of racial bias incidents um, and hate incidents here on campus recently. Um, at the beginning of last semester, TUBD had responded to a call to the Jumbo statue outside of Barnum Hall, um, and women of color were putting a mask on Jumbo as a way of promoting Tufts' COVID safety campaign, Healthy at Tufts. And TUB responded to the incident, and they were unaware that this event was happening, and they had questioned the students involved, and claims of disparate treatment by TUPD toward Black students and specifically women of color were raised. So Tufts had launched an investigation into the incident and five months later the the report of the invest from the investigation asserted that there was no wrongdoing or disparate treatment. Though certainly mistakes were made in the process, especially regarding communication. TBD was not aware that this event was going on and it was not on their radar. And this incident in itself also kind of like reflects back to incidents um, in twenty seventeen where the Tufts Observer had collected a series of testimonials in an, in an opinion piece that they had put out. And one incident in particular that came out through this was that there was a party for Black students on campus at Sophia Gordon Hall in the multipurpose room. And it had been coordinated with the Office of Campus Life to go on to at least 1 a.m. And it was a planned event. And TUBD had showed up, according to the organizers, and requested that the party be shut down that it was like too loud, that it'd be shut down earlier than planned. And after speaking with organizers, TUPD had left the event, but continued to police it throughout and continually checking in on the party until the party had died down. And after that first incident and the repeated incidents, the, the crowd at the party had really started to dwindle down. And so these two incidents kind of like 
hold in my mind the history of policing at Tufts, especially of Black students and Black faculty members. Another instance that was also captured in, we were talking about the group of six specifically, and the Women's Center, detailed in this op-ed as well, was an incident regarding Kay Martinez, who had been running the Women's Center, and they left Tufts after only 11 months, and during that period, they had been stopped or visited by police twice in a period of four months. And that was part of the reason that drove them to leave Tufts and vacate the role leading the Women's Center. And in these interactions with TUPD, um, between Kay Martinez and TUPD, in the second incident, um, in the four months, in the first four months that they were here, um, involved an unmarked car on campus outside the Women's Center and police who were wearing bulletproof vests. So a rather militarized or hostile presence um, is what Kay Martinez was experiencing. That's what partially drove them from Tufts. On the theme of the uh, policing, there's just in the past couple months, um, several work stream reports, one of which dealt with Tufts University Police Department. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that process, how it started and its results? Yeah, absolutely. So these incidents of TUPD's response have continued throughout the four years of my being here. And in July of this year, Anthony Monaco, President Anthony Monaco, had announced that the Tufts was launching an effort to become an anti-racist institution. And with that, he had announced seven work streams. And one of those involved TUPD, specifically campus safety and policing. And on this work stream, there's 24 people um, made up of students, faculty, and administrators. And they're tasked with trying to improve relations, improve TUPD to where it is a better agency for students here. And they had released a number of recommendations with the report, and that involves outsourcing some of the current TUPD responsibilities to non-police personnel, like responding to noise complaints. Another recommendation was to expand reports to respond to mental health crises. Another was hiring a community engagement officer and also reviewing the diversity of TUPD itself. One recommendation that came from it was to establish another work stream to focus on the status of arming TUPD officers. That wasn't specifically addressed in the report, but they recommend another work stream to focus on this over another year, which is a major concern among students here at Tufts that has seen a bout of, uh, of activism as well. One point I want to emphasize is that like, there were issues of policing and then there were issues of racial bias on campus that had been occurring on Tufts campus for years. And it was students were raising this attention to the administration, right? And it really wasn't until May of 2020 with the death of George Floyd that Tufts had really taken that step to move towards addressing a lot of these issues in a comprehensive way or in a more actionable, broad-based way. So th these issues have been here and they're finally starting to get some attention. Yeah, and I can talk a little bit about how those issues manifested themselves even before the events of summer 2020. Specifically, there were a series of hate crimes of targeted attacks of marginalized groups on campus, including in fall of 2018, on November 1st, right before the midterm elections, on a bunch of signs that were created by Tisch College to encourage students to get out and vote, 
There were postings of papers that said it's okay to be white, which was affiliated with a white supremacist campaign, very much intended to intimidate, marginalize, and non-white students on campus. Additionally, on top of that, in spring 2019, uh, Tufts Hillel was covered with a series of posters um, that were all very anti-Israel, and that was an anti-Semitic targeting of a Jewish space on campus. In addition to that, in the next fall, there was another series of very targeted hate crimes. There was a, uh, a student, found, a Jewish student at Tufts found a swastika affixed to their door. Shortly after that, a different student found a homophobic slur carved into their door. And shortly after that, a sign um, in the Adik Menart Center that was talking about the African-American Trail Project was defaced. So really it was this one after the other series of very targeted, very specific, very intentional hate crimes on our campus, at which point after all three of those things happened and with what had happened the year before, President Anthony Monaco announced the formation of the bias response teams, which was really one of the biggest actions that the administration announced they would take before summer 2020. Right. I think there's two other themes we mentioned at the head that I want to make sure we cover. One of which is the long story and struggle for gender parity in Tufts administration. Uh, Ryan, could you speak on that? Yeah, this is one point I don't want to, it's kind of been muddled over the years, kind of like outsourced or, um, or driven out a little bit. And I don't want to like forget it. But in September 2018, a report had come out from the EOS Foundation, a nonprofit titled Women's Power Gap in Higher Education. And it found that Tufts had ranked 87th out of 93 Massachusetts-based colleges and universities in terms of gender parity in positions of leadership. They had put Tufts in the category of, quote, needs urgent attention, unquote. And this category rank also includes MIT. It includes Boston University and Boston College. And this report specifically found that 27% of deans at Tufts are women. Women make up 40% of the highest salaried positions. Tufts has never had a woman as president. And that 38% of the board of trustees is made up of women. And so this had really raised concerns among the community in in regards to gender parity, um, and especially in positions of leadership. And in response, Tufts had said that certainly there is room for improvement, but also kind of criticized the report to a degree concerning its methodology and that it didn't include, that it didn't take into account other leadership positions like the senior vice provost, general counsel, and the senior vice president, all of which were held by women at the time. Nonetheless, it is clear among community members that uh, and alumni that, that this is an issue in need of improvement. Uh, the last thing that I want to address is the relationship between Tufts University and its host communities. And I think that's one that's interrelated with a lot of the things that we've already discussed, but also especially exacerbated uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. If you like, can you start by telling us kind of what the, what the relationship was at the beginning of your time at Tufts and how it's developed since then? Yeah, I think town-gown relations are one of, one of the strangest things to navigate, um, especially early into your Tufts career, because you're really coming in. I mean, the, the communities that we live in, Medford and Somerville, are so wonderful, and you come into this place of really enjoying and and fully absorbing a lot of the resources that Medford and Somerville have to offer. And then kind of the more the more time you spend at Tufts and the more time you kind of start looking into the relationship with Tufts and its host communities, 
you can find that it's a much more tense relationship than you expected or observed your first year, first couple months here. I think one way that's really manifested in my four years at Tufts has been in housing and in Tufts encroaching on its neighbors. You know, I live in an off-campus house and the people who I live around, a lot of them are townies and a lot of them have lived here for a very long time. And there's an increase in, you know, Tufts buying up nearby houses when they go on the market, the development of Coho. And Coho really was started around our freshman year and has really developed a lot since then and has been constantly under construction since our first year here. Coho's really kind of the perfect example of Tufts expanding into where Medford residents, or if you look at other buildings that Tufts has expanded into, Somerville residents live and kind of affecting that relationship as Tufts continues to grow, but doesn't always have the housing infrastructure to support the um, increasing number of students that attend every year. As Justin pointed out, for years, Tufts' relationship with its host communities has been contentious, especially whenever it comes to housing and pilot negotiations. Pilot is payment in lieu of taxes. As a nonprofit institution, Tufts does not have to pay taxes to the cities of Medford or Somerville. Nonetheless, it is a common practice for universities to submit some sort of payment to to the cities that host them. And there are negotiations over the years in which Medford and Somerville want to receive higher payments. And it had really kind of been building up to a, a kind of like a boiling point almost prior to the pandemic. Like literally right before the pandemic, Medford Mayor Brianna Lungo-Kern had created a work stream specifically tasked with navigating pilot negotiations, but that was put on hold because of the pandemic. They weren't able to meet in person. And so that was like put on hold. And after the pandemic, after the onset of COVID-19 here in the U.S., we see that relationships have kind of warmed up a little bit, especially with the partnership between Somerville, Tufts, and Medford and Tufts' response to the pandemic and helping its host communities. During the summer, Tufts had housed um, first responders in on-campus dorms who were interacting with COVID-19 patients. Also, Tufts had offered some of its space for COVID-19 patients and also space for storing food for food banks, for local food banks. And so that was a really positive, and you can kind of see it through the statements of Joe Curtitoni. And students will soon be returning to campus. They are required to quarantine for two weeks once they arrive if they're coming from certain states. Is, is that two-week quarantine requirement enough? Well, it's gonna, we're going to need more than that. Uh, Tufts' uh, original plan they proposed, uh, I pushed back on as well as my, my colleague, the mayor of Medford, mm -hmm. uh, Mayor uh, Lungo Kern, um, because Tufts is 50, it basically split between the two communities. Tufts has been responsive and scaling back the pace of students coming back. I will say, though, that Tufts, uh, in particular, President Monaco, has been an incredible leader for the beginning of the pandemic utilizing his campus and offering his campus for isolation and quarantine of first responders and other city employees. Literally six months before, Joe Curtitoni had said that maybe Somerville, in a joking manner, that Somerville should pay off or sell its part of tough Somerville side of the campus to Medford. But then after COVID-19, he had really warmed up and was thanking the university for its efforts in helping the municipalities navigate COVID-19. Yeah, just to add on to that, there was, um, I think, something that shows that the conversation is not over. There was reporting just a couple days ago that state legislators from Medford and Somerville just introduced Massachusetts legislation, create a statewide pilot 
rate, which would allow municipalities to opt in to require qualifying nonprofits like Tufts to pay a quarter of its equivalent taxes, which would be something like four times the current pilot amount to Medford or Somerville. So the conversation is certainly not over, but the effect of the pandemic has been significant. Yeah, the payment in 2019, if I'm remembering correctly, was around $450,000 to both Somerville and Medford. And both mayors, Somerville Mayor Joe Curtitoni and Medford Mayor Brianna Wingo Kern, both said that this was not enough and they were pushing for more. But you raise a very interesting point in that like Medford and Somerville leaders have been going to the Massachusetts legislature and trying to push Tufts to release some of its development plans. And that was like a big push in the fall before the pandemic. As graduating classes go at Tufts, certainly this one is exceptional for the fact that its last year and a half was described by nothing if not the COVID-19 pandemic. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I did not anticipate taking virtual classes my senior year, not going to lie. I remember I was editor-in-chief whenever the COVID-19 pandemic had set on, and I, like, how do you prepare for that? It was like a week before Tufts had sent us home and we were, me and my managing board, we were sitting in the office and we're trying to figure out, well, what do we do? How do, how does the daily continue on throughout the semester? Would it be okay if we ask reporters to continue reporting? And we had concluded that if, if they wanted to, they could, but we have been living in this state of uncertainty for more than a year. And it's really affected a lot of the things that we do on campus. I can jump in, chat for a little bit about... Oh, oh, the the great fun that it is to graduate in a COVID year. Um, like, yeah, it's it's strange to think about us compared to the class of 2020 in particular and how how heart wrenching it would have been for the class of 2020 to have had all of their graduation experiences and all of the uh, the things you look forward to at the end of your time at Tufts, everything from the actual graduation ceremony, to uh, senior bar night, to senior week, to even just um, your final classes in person, saying goodbye to all your professors in person. It's very strange to think of what it must have been like to have all of that pulled away so quickly with only a month or two notice. And I think Ryan and I were in kind of unique uh, positions as a class in that we didn't really know what was going to happen. You know, we had a semblance of hope going into uh, school in the fall and kind of how that has um, ebbed and flowed throughout the semester. Some important developments, we do get an attempt at an in-person graduation um, in our departmental ceremonies. We will be having a virtual all-school commencement ceremony. We you know, Tufts had, has managed to stay open for the entirety of the year and not send its students home um, for the entirety of the 2020-2021 school year, which is really quite surprising and uh, in a lot of ways a testament to their COVID protocols. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a bittersweet experience if I can get a little reflective here. And also it's, you know, TCU announced this semester that the TCU Senate is establishing their Pandemic Activities Restoration Trust for the class of 2020 and the class of 2021 to um, give us a little bit of financial support in future silly, fun graduation activities that we can, you know, dream of for now until a time when more people are vaccinated and we can safely gather together. We were all sent home as a class 
or as a school in over spring break of of spring 2020 and we spent the rest of the semester virtually but Tufts had done a number of things to prepare for the next semester you know we have test we have campus-wide testing and the level at which we test has fluctuated throughout the semester it used to just be twice a week and now it's every other day and Tufts had set up a a whole host of temporary housing which we call the mods I've been thinking a lot about um, the the way that social life has changed in the pandemic and the way that, you know, I was speaking to, I think it was Alexander Donovan of the care office the other day about how you learn a lot about tough social life in your first year at Tufts and how that must be so different this year for first years because like we all know parties are still happening. We all know that there are things going on behind the scenes, but it's definitely less prevalent than it was our freshman year, less accessible. At the same time, our freshman year, Tufts was also going through its own kind of social confrontation because it was right after, I guess it was the semester after, Greek life at Tufts really um, started going downhill rather quickly. There were some accusations that were first made in the Tufts Observer that spread throughout several fraternities and sororities at Tufts and resulted in their suspension, in them being kicked off campus, or in them having delays in their recruitment or um, limits on their ability to host social events. You know, it's so strange to think about now because obviously social life has changed so much, but it really did change the way that we interacted socially as compared to our peers the year before. We started that at that point as the class of 2021 and then move on and we've ended up in such a completely different place and so many, hitting so many more obstacles that we never could have imagined and so many other social barriers at play right now. Well, we've certainly covered all the themes that I think we set out to. Um, is there anything else that you think we should know? Um, I did wanna say that a lot of what I have said in this podcast uh, is, Actually, almost all of it is drawn from previous Tufts Daily reporting, mostly news reporting and investigative reporting, and some feature reporting, and give special thanks to uh, Zach Hertz, Austin Clementi, Robert Kaplan, um, Alejandra Carrillo, and Maddie Aiken for their work. Yeah, special thanks to the hundreds of people at the Daily that um, allow us to do the reporting and put out a paper each day, even amid a pandemic. Well, thank you so much for being here. It has been a pleasure speaking with you both. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Robert. And thank you, Ryan. Happy graduation. And that's it for this April 25th edition of The Rewind, the final of this academic year. Be sure to check out The Daily's commencement issue, published in print and online on May 5th. The Rewind is brought to you by the Tufts Daily. Today's episode was produced by McKenna Law and Ryan Schaefer. Kate Seckler selects our music. Our host is Robert Kaplan, and Hannah Harris is the executive audio producer. Thank you for listening.